0: Colossians chapter four, verses three through six. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time and let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. Ann Kimmel was a wonderful witness who, like so many, came to faith in Christ during the Jesus People movement. Well, God ended up using her in a mighty way, and she began to speak all over the nation at college events and on college campuses. This involved her doing a lot of travel. Well, one day she was trying to fly from Atlanta to Miami and she missed her flight because she had written down the time wrong. That caused her to do a long layover in Atlanta. If you've ever done a long layover in Atlanta, it's not fun. So she decided to go to the bathroom and she was waiting for her next flight. And while she was in the bathroom, she encountered a young woman who was sitting in there in the bathroom on her suitcase and she was dejected. She asked her too. she, said, she started, began a conversation with her and he says, so I'm guessing you too have a long way over in Atlanta. And the lady began to open up and here's what she said. This lady's name was Frances. She said, my little sister died and I'm trying to go and see her family. She was a wonderful person. And then she said something that was hard for Anne to hear. She said, God was mean to take her this early. She was angry at God. Wanted nothing to do with him because of that. And heard those words and began to talk with her a little bit, then asked her permission to sing a little bit of a song that was very popular at that time by Bill Gaither. Maybe you remember these words. Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful out of my life. Francis was struck by those, the lyrics of that song and it gave Anne the opportunity to begin to share the gospel with Francis. Francis said, I wanna love Jesus the way that you love Jesus, Anne. Share the gospel with her. And then she said, Anne, would you like to pray a prayer with me? And this is how that prayer went. Dear Jesus, I hurt. I'm a sinner. I need you to come into my life and make something beautiful out of my life again. She prayed that prayer and Anne went on. I mean, Francis went on to be an incredible believer in Jesus Christ. And before Anne left to go and get on for her flight, this is what Francis said to her. She said, I'm 42 years old and a school teacher. I am the middle of 12 kids and not attra- I'm the middle of 12 kids and I'm not attractive. No one has ever called me beautiful before. But now I am going back and I am going to be different because for the first time someone told me that Jesus could make something beautiful out of my life. The words that Anne, that it witnessed that Anne had in that moment, changed everything about Francis. Francis was, in many ways, you could say, was an outsider at that point, did not know Jesus. And Paul is dealing with outsiders in this text today. For instance, if you look at verse five of the passage, it says, act wisely toward outsiders making the most of the time. From this passage and from really the scriptures as a whole, we could say that our mission, what we've been called to, the goal of our witness is to help outsiders become insiders. We see this on display in 1 Peter chapter 2 what I believe is one of the most incredible passages in all the Bible. Look at these verses. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy if you're a believer in Christ today, if you are in Christ, this right here is your story. The story of what? That you used to not, you used to not have a people, but now you have a people. That you used to not have known mercy, but now you know mercy. That everything has changed in your life because you've met Jesus. That you are an outsider and you have become an out, an insider. And guess what? It can also be the story of so many around us as well. There's so many in our world that are hurting today and what they need to hear is that they too can be found, that they can be rescued, that they can go from being an outsider to an insider. So that is our goal. How then do we accomplish that goal? How do we help people go from being an outsider to an insider? Well, I wanna share with you five truths today from the text that I think will help us as we are trying to help people go from being outsiders to insiders. Truth number one, Remember that you too once used to be an outsider. Remember that you used to be an outsider. Maybe you're like me, and when you look at the, you watch the news or you look at social media and you see what it is that so many people are doing today, you look at that and you think, how in the world could someone ever choose to do that? How could they ever do something like that to themselves? What we are saying in that moment whether we admit it or not, is that we, we're implying that we would have never done something like that. That we are in some ways above the actions of those people. I can imagine that they would ever make those choices. What we're saying, without, whether we admit it or not, is that we are above them. When we have those thoughts that come into our mind, what we need to do in those moments is remind ourselves of what it was like when we two were lost. I say it this way, that I have to get myself back into the mind of 16-year-old Justin. And trust me, that's a scary place to be inside of the mind of 16-year-old Justin. But do you know why I have to go back to the mind of 16-year-old Justin? Because it helps me see that I too was a young man who was lost, who was longing for love, who was longing to be accepted, who was looking for forgiveness for so many things that I had done, who longed for First Peter 2 to be true in my life that I would have a people, that I would know mercy. We must remember the very lyrics of what we just sang, that were it not for grace, where would we be? And when we begin to remember that, you know what happens? Our hearts begin to open to the people around us. And we no longer see them as people who are just making bad decisions. We see them as people who are outsiders who need to become insiders. Insiders. If we are gonna help people make that jump, we have to first remember that we too used to be outsiders. Second of all, what we must do is make the gospel understandable. We must make the gospel understandable. Verse four, really in verse three, he says that that I may make known the mystery of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then verse four, so that I may make it known as I should. The word being used right here is, it kind of denotes having it out and open for all to see. That it's clear, that people can understand it. They can see what is being said. So often when we're talking about the gospel, we don't use that kind of language. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite pastors, he he realized that his congregation, this is the 1800s, and most of them had almost no education. I mean, they didn't, they, you know, more than really third grade, they didn't have much after that. And he looked at the preachers in the area around him and said, he implored them, please stop using big flowery language. Use the language of the people so they can understand it. Here's the word picture he used. He said, the Lord Jesus did not say, feed my giraffes, but feed my sheep. Do you see the difference between those? He didn't say, feed my giraffes. He said, feed my sheep. And then he said, we must not put the fodder on a high rack by our fine language, but use great plainness of speech. Use the language of the people so that they can know and understand. We can often be guilty of using something called the language of Zion. Have you ever heard that before? Here's what I mean. If you're like me and you grew up in the Bible belt, you've been in church your whole life, the language that we use in church just feels normal. So then when we go to share the gospel with someone, our testimony sounds like this. I walked the aisle. I repented of my sin. I was washed in the blood and then gloriously regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Now that is all true and beautiful, but how does that sound to someone who's never been to church in their entire life? They've never grown up in the faith. You start saying things like you've been washed in the blood, and they're probably going to call the police. What's actually going to happen? What blood you've been washing in, man? Like what's going on? It just doesn't make sense. We have to think about the language that we are using when we are talking to people if we want them to become from go from outsiders to insiders. The way that we speak and share the gospel matters. The way I've tried to teach teenagers and other young people how to do this, is that instead of just memorizing a way to share the gospel, ask the people to share their story. Because as they share their story, you'll begin to see where they actually are. And then you'll begin to use language where they actually are. And you can, what we say, put the cookies on the bottom shelf so they can understand it. If we're going to help outsiders become insiders, we have to make sure the gospel is understandable that they can respond to it. Third, we must make sure our life doesn't contradict our message. We're gonna help people make that jump. We have to make sure our life does not contradict our message. Verse five says, act wisely toward outsiders. Act wisely toward outsiders. Whether we like it or not, outsiders look at the actions of insiders. People watch us all the time. They see what we're doing, and we have to make sure that our life and our actions are not becoming a hindrance to people responding to the gospel, but a help to people responding to the gospel. There's a story that you've maybe heard before about Dr. Will Houghton, who was the the president of Moody Bible Institute for years. Before he was there, he was the pastor at Tabernacle Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, Not long after becoming pastor there, one man came to his church, and he heard the way he spoke, and he said, there's no way that man's life matches the way he preaches. So he hired a private detective to follow Dr. Houghton around, and for two straight weeks, that private investigator followed every movement of Dr. Houghton and then came back and reported to the man, he checks out. (laughs) He legitimately lives what he preaches. And because of that, the man who hired the private investigator became a believer in Jesus Christ. Why? Because his actions spoke. Maybe you've heard the old complaint, really, that typically points towards hypocrisy usually of this, that your life speaks so loudly that I couldn't hear what you're saying. Something that we don't want to have true about ourselves. That our life, the way we live, messes up, what pe- makes it to where people cannot hear it. What if instead people, when they looked at us, this is what they said, your life speaks so loudly, I couldn't help but hearing what you said. That when they looked at the way we lived our lives, they looked at the way that we interacted with everybody, that they could not help but want to hear the message that we proclaimed to them. If we're gonna help outsiders become insiders, we have to make sure our life matches our message. Number four We also must be careful to seize every opportunity to share the gospel. Seize every opportunity to share the gospel. In verse five, act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. The New King James says it like this, redeeming the time. This word redeem means to buy something while you still have time to do it, right? How many times have we seen this commercial on TV? Or we've, you know, we've been at the car dealership, we've seen the commercial at the car dealership. One hour left, and if you do not buy it now, then you will lose this deal forever. (laughs) Well, it makes you think for a moment, well, I I don't want to lose this opportunity to get this. What if we thought about the way we share the gospel like that? That we have one hour left, and so because of that, we have to redeem the time that we have. What if we thought with this mindset that if you don't redeem the time you have with outsiders, it'll be lost? Bill Bright had a a rule for his life, and it was this that if he ever had two minutes alone with someone in a waiting room or somewhere else, he would see that it was God's appointment for him to talk to that person about Jesus. It was just it. Can I tell you about a time that I did not do well in that way? When I was in college, the business building where most of my classes were had a big atrium in the middle of it with big round tables. And oftentimes we would sit there um, in between classes, a group of us, including Sarah, my wife, we all had the same business courses. And we would sit and talk about life, about school, uh, all these things. Well, one day this girl who was in our class chose to come and sit with us that day and to to, to try to hear what we talked about. So we continued to cut up and laugh Well, the other group, uh, the rest of the table, they left to get to class early, about 15, 20 minutes early because they're overachievers. I myself decided to come right at the time that I'm supposed to be there for the classroom. So I'm going to use every moment of free time that I have. So I stuck around. Sarah was one of those who decides to get to class 15, 20 minutes early so that she can be paying attention. Well, this girl chose to stay as well at the table. And as we were sitting there, she looked at me and she says, you're one of those good guys, aren't you? I knew what she was talking about. And so I just said, well, (laughs) I try to be. And then she said, why? Why do you choose to live life that way? Why? I knew for a fact that she was not a believer, just in the conversation that we'd had previously. And I had the perfect opportunity to share the gospel with her. But you know what I did? I made an excuse in my mind, well, I got to get to class, you know, all these things are going on. And so I looked at her and I said, well, you know, just my parents raised me that way. And so I try to be that kind of person. And I got up from the table and I walked back to my classroom. And after class, I got in the, my car to head back to my apartment. And I kid you not, it was like the Holy Spirit slapped me upside the head. Okay. That's the best way I can explain it. And I, I felt the Lord in my soul say, Justin, you pray every day for opportunities to share the gospel. I put it on a silver platter for you right there. She asked you. <laughs> she asked you about it and you didn't do it. What were you thinking? <laughs> that last part was more me. I tell myself, what were you thinking, Justin? Many of you probably have the same similar story. <laughs> you get scared and we make an excuse and we don't redeem the time in that way. What if? friends. What if we viewed every interaction that we had with people as divine appointments? What if we viewed it as that? I think we would take advantage of those opportunities that we have with the people around us and would see it not just as a random situation, but that maybe God put those people in our life so that we could explain the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ so that they could go from being outsiders to insiders. And finally today, Last way we help people go from being outsiders to insiders is that we must express the gospel in the most effective way possible to each individual. Express the gospel in the most effective way possible to each individual. Look at verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person so that you may know how to answer each person. Here's what we know to be true. The gospel facts, the truths of the gospel, they are unchanging. They are never going to change. But the way in which we connect the gospel to someone's life, that can change. We could say it this way, that the message never changes, but the method of communicating that message can change. And I would say that it has to change depending on who we're talking to. Can I give you some examples from the scriptures and then some examples from our world today? Let me start first with Paul, the writer of the majority of the New Testament. Paul interacted with Jews very differently than how he interacted with Gentiles. Whenever Paul was in a synagogue and he was talking to the Jewish people, what would he do? He would point back to the prophecies to show them how Jesus truly was the Messiah, the one that they had been looking for. But then when we see Paul go up to Mars Hill and he sees that they're worshiping this sea of idols all around them, he points to the unknown God, the unknown idol in the middle of them. And he says, hey, that one that you're looking for, that unknown one, I'll tell you who it is. It's Jesus Christ. That one you've always been looking for. Do you see the message was the same. They were both looking and longing for someone, but the method of communicating it was very different. If we're gonna help people see, we've gotta see those two differences. How about Jude? Jude has one book in the Bible, and it's one chapter long. It's right near the end. But in the book of Jude, he helps us see that the way in which we communicate the gospel is different depending on the audience. Look at verses 22 and 23. It says, Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. And have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Some, he says, hey, some are wavering and they're struggling, have mercy on them, walk alongside them. Others, he says, hey, you're gonna just just straight snatch them from the fire. (laughs) That's the only way you're gonna get them. You gotta pull them straight out of it. Two different ways of interacting with people, the method is different, but the message is the same. Or finally, how about Jesus? Look, if you look at the gospels, you see that Jesus talks to the religious people very differently than the way he talks to the sinners, to those far from God. When he's talking to the religious people, he didn't hold nothing back. <laughs> he looked at him and he said, hey, you're trying to be right and you're trying to do the right thing. Guess what? You're actually whitewashed tunes. <laughs> he knew for them, he had to hold them accountable to what they were doing. That there was something deeper they needed just than just actions. But when he was around the sinners, those far from God, what he would do is he would... Come with them and he would help them see that the shame, the guilt that they are struggling with, the ostracization ostracization that they are struggling with. No, that he can fix that for them and they can be known and they can be loved. They can be accepted. You see, the method is different, but the gospel is the same. Let me give you a couple of examples from our world today. First one comes from Tim Keller. Tim Keller was a pastor in New York City for over 30 years. And when he first got to New York City, he noticed that everybody, almost every single person was there, was there and they worshiped money and they worshiped their jobs. He would say that they struggled with idolatry, that there was something in their hearts that got in the way of them truly being able to see Jesus. And so how did he preach? He, he, he said, look, they didn't understand sin, but they could see that they were worshiping something. And so he helped them see, hey, you're worshiping the wrong thing. You need to worship Jesus. He actually wrote a book that was incredibly popular called Counterfeit Gods, dealing with this whole idea of idolatry. But last year he did, a, um, he did an interview and it was near the end of his life. He just recently died of, of cancer. And they asked him in that interview, if you had to start ministry all over again, what would you do differently? He said, if I look at the people today, if I was helping share the gospel with them, I would no longer talk about idolatry. I would talk about identity. Think about where all of our young people are right now. They are searching and longing and trying to figure out who they actually are. And what does the gospel tell us? That everything you've been looking for, the truth about yourself can be found in Jesus Christ. That when you believe in him, you become a child of God and you no longer have to guess and ask what's true about you, you will know. You see, the method might change, but the message is the same. Did you know that that can change depending on where you live in the world? We live in our area a very much a guilt society, a law and order society in the West. But if you go to the East, it is a shame culture kind of society. It's very much shame and honor. Pastor Dave Marshall's son lives in Japan where he is a missionary, and Japan is very much a shame and honor culture and it is, it is massive. I mean, so many people there live with the weight of their shame on their shoulder, shoulder so much so that Japan leads the um, suicide rate per capita of any country in the world. I mean, the belief that because of what they've done has now shamed them from their family. It separated them. It's actually multiple times when he was there that the subway would stop when they were there because people had thrown themselves in front of the train. Shame can cause people to become outsiders and they feel like there's no hope for them. So the question is, what do we do for those who feel like they are outside? How do we communicate this message with them to them? Well, the good news is is that we have the words of Jesus Christ. And when you look at Jesus, what do you see him do time and time again while he's living in a shame on our culture? He meets them at the table. He does something at that, in that society that said, I accept you. I welcome you in. And the religious people around him hated him for it. <laughs> when he invites Matthew to come and have, he goes to dinner, uh, Matthew's house to have dinner with him. What do the, the Pharisees do? They get angry at him. But it has an impact on all of the sinners, including Matthew right there. It changes him. Zacchaeus, this wee little man, he goes to, he says, I'm coming to your house one day. And he shows up and what's he do? He eats dinner with him and all of the tax collectors and sinners from the town. And what happens to Zacchaeus? It changes him. Why? Because for those who were in the shame and honor culture, the beautiful message of the gospel of Jesus is this, that he died so that your shame can be taken away and buried at the bottom of the ocean that you can be welcomed into a family again, that you can be accepted. You see, the method might change, but the message is the same. And then finally, let me tell you about a guy who lives in Washington State. He does college ministry. He says, in the state of Washington now, you basically can't even talk about sin because nobody even knows what it means. He said, but there is one truth that's true about every person there and really every person here. We're all gonna die one day. Last time I checked, there was a 100% mortality rate. It just is. So he's seen that the greatest way he shares the gospel with people there is to point to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how necessary that is for every person. And He looks at them and he says, we might not agree on morality, but we all know that we're going to die. And we all know that one of the biggest fears in the world is dying and what's going to happen after death. And what he leans on is a verse that we say every single week, a verse that is true for every person in the world. And that is John three sixteen: that God loved us so much that he sent his son to this world so that no one might perish, but they might believe and have everlasting life. This desire for life from every person, that message is always the same, but the method in which we communicate it might be different. Every one of us are in need of it. So as I move towards the conclusion today, let me ask this. There might be some of you in this room, you might be the outsider. You might know right now that you know that you are separated from God. That you see that you are covered in shame right now. You're covered in guilt. You know that you have messed up and you are far away. The good news for you all today is this, that because Jesus Christ came for you, you can too be an insider. If you feel like you have broken God's laws in this room today, let me let you know, Jesus died so that you can be forgiven of those things. If you feel like your shame because of who you were or who you've become is so intense that you can't do anything about it, know that in Jesus's death and when you trust in him, he restores your dignity because now you are cleansed in him, no longer just in you. Or maybe you're here today and you know you're gonna die and you don't know what's gonna happen. The good news for all of us is that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And because of that, we have life when we believe. Are you an outsider today? My prayer today is that you would trust in Jesus and you would become an an insider. Or maybe, how about this other prayer? If you're here today and you know somebody in your life that's an outsider, might you take some of these methods home with you today and help them see that they can go from being an outsider to an insider as well? Let's pray together. God, we love you so much. And we thank you for the truth of your word. Where would we be if it wasn't for your grace? Where would we be if it was not for you? Father, help us to trust in you today, to lean on you today. And then God, I pray that you would fill our lives with divine appointments so that we might share this good news with those around us. And God, if there is anyone in this room today who doesn't know you, God, may they cry out to you and ask for you to save them. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.